to the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins, we give you all honor, glory, and praise. May the proclamation of your words of restoration build up your people today. In the name of Jesus. We don't often think about the creator and sustainer of the entire universe being tired and thirsty. You ever been tired? You ever thought that maybe because you are created in the image of God, maybe that's why you're tired? Have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever thought about the possibility that God likes cold water just as much as you do? I thought it was cool when I was a little boy to drink out of the water hose on the side of the house. Revelation 7.17 For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of the water of life. Sounds like Psalm 23 come full circle. Total, fulfilled, new creation of He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Water of life restores my soul. What better words of reorientation could we hope to hear on this day? Water of life restores my soul. You thirsty? Come to Jesus. Is your soul in need of restoring today? Come to Jesus. Does your life need to be reoriented? Come to Jesus. The ultimate story of this restoration, the ultimate example of how God is showing us that God is bigger than our expectations and our boxes, is the story of one of the very first Jesus followers. And likely the very first Christian preacher. And she was not who you would expect. John 4 calls her a Samaritan woman. And the name stuck. Here's another fact, we don't know her name. She's just called a Samaritan woman. And that's what she's been called for a couple thousand years now. It was noon one day when she crossed paths with Jesus. He asked her for a drink. She was offended and probably shocked. You ever been offended and shocked by Jesus? You know how people say sometimes, oh, if I had only walked with Jesus. Yeah, but a lot of the people who walked with Jesus were shocked and offended. But when Jesus says to her in as many words, if you knew the gift of God, you would know who's asking you for water and you would ask me for water, and I would give you water that you'd never have to ask for water again. And so much is made of this story, but I'm wondering about what Jesus says if you knew the gift of God. I want to know the gift of God. You want to know the gift of God? 
Revelation 7.17 For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of the water of life. Sounds like Psalm 23. Come full circle. This is total, fulfilled, new creation of He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Water of life restores my soul. What better words of reorientation could we hope to hear on this day? Water of life restores my soul. And yes, I'm repeating this section. I know I said it a few minutes ago and I'm saying it again. Because some things bear repeating. For example, are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. Is your soul in need of restoring today? We spend so much of our lives looking to answer that question in all kinds of ways. Well, guess what? The answer is, come to Jesus. Does your life need to be reoriented? Because you know, right, everywhere you turn, everything is making an offer to you. Here, this will reorient your life. You feel that, right? Here, take this. This will reorient your life. Except this. This will reorient your life. Okay. I've got another offer for you. Come to Jesus. And I say this with full confidence and boldness and anything else that you can think of because I believe this with all my heart as a witness. My offer is better than all the other ones you're going to get. And you know why? Because like the Samaritan woman making the offer, it's not my offer. It's not the Samaritan woman's offer. This is the offer from the creator and sustainer of the universe. Jesus reorients the entire life of the Samaritan woman. He changes her whole life. Maybe Jesus is trying to get your attention, but you're not thirsty. We've surrounded ourselves with so many different kinds of waters that we are missing out on the opportunity for Jesus to change us. Thing is, some of us don't want to be changed. You see how that went from preaching to meddling? Just like that. I, I thought when I was younger about writing a book, back when people used to publish books of sermons. Can't do that anymore. But I thought about doing that, and I thought about calling the, the book Sermons You're Probably Not Going to Like. And this one might be one of them. Because I wonder about the Samaritan woman. She went back to her village and told everybody about Jesus. As a result, lots and lots of Samaritans believed in Jesus because of her testimony, because of her story, because of her preaching. But then more came to believe, not because of her story, but because they started encountering Jesus for themselves. Whether it was through word of mouth, whether it was story, maybe some of them went out and actually tried to find Jesus. Maybe some of them were sitting in the feeding of the 5,000. We don't know. But they went and saw it for themselves. Because if you're going to tell the story of Jesus, it has to come from your own encounter and how the Lord has changed you. There's nothing duller than listening to someone tell a story about other people that you don't know. You know what I mean? You, you've sat in conversations like that, right? Where someone is just 
talking for an hour and you have no idea who these people are. You're like, is there a point? You know, what, what do you want me to get out of this? Well, if all we're doing is telling a story about somebody else's encounter with Jesus, it's got to be more than that. And that's where the Samaritan woman comes in. Because if you're going to tell a story, and you're going to tell a story about Jesus, make sure that it is about a God who still is reorienting and creating to this day. Not a God who got locked down into place in the 1830s, or 1906, or the 1950s, or the 2010s. You know what I mean? Ever feel sometimes like all the stories we tell about God, Jesus, the Spirit, and everything else that we can imagine to understand God all feel like we're talking about the past? Well, God did this back then. Great! I love that story. What's God doing today? Well, guess what? He's still reorienting, recreating, and shaping our lives. Yeah, God did mighty wonders back then. Wonderful. Love it. What's God doing today? Think about John's audience of probably Jewish Christians and Gentile converts to Jesus. To both groups, and even beyond that, but certainly to John's audience, Samaritans were historically the most looked down upon people in the entire world as they knew it. You know that, right? You know, kind of the background stuff about Samaritans. They were the people that nobody wanted to go near. They lived out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody liked them. You know, typically if you talked about people that you didn't want to be or you didn't want your kids to become, they probably had books of Samaritan jokes. Because they didn't like them. They didn't like them. Everything that people said about Samaritans back then was bad. They were the rejected immigrants, no matter which country you were from. They were the people, like stories of recent times, that lived kind of on the borders between countries. Like, you know, all the stuff that was happening in Kosovo and all the stuff that's happening around Iraq. These people that just kind of, you know, you heard about the Kurds, that just live kind of in the middle. They don't have a home. No one wants them. No one accepts them. In 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act was signed into federal law prohibiting any immigration from China into the United States. It was not repealed until 1943 when they decided to start letting in a whopping 105 Chinese people per year. So... What would it look like if the Samaritan woman's story happened in the late 1800s? You see, if you get shocked and offended by all the immigration stuff going on around us these days, picture in the late 1800s when the Jesus story was really taking off in the United States. You know, post-Civil War, the story of Jesus is really exploding in people's lives. So you got that pictured? Post-Civil War, United States, story of Jesus is taking off. 
And picture that the person who told the story of Jesus during that time that brought all kinds of people to Jesus was a Chinese woman who was being trafficked as a prostitute. That's what the Samaritan woman story felt like when John first started telling these stories to his audience. They're like, oh. Or, what if an unwed young mother, teenage girl from Honduras was preaching the story of Jesus through slats and offense? Would that proclamation, would that telling of the story of Jesus be any different than what I'm doing right now? Would the gospel be any different? Would the good saving news of Jesus Christ be any different in that situation? Aren't we all wanting to have access to God? Isn't that ultimately what we're all after and what we all want? For John 4, if a Samaritan had access to God, and if a Samaritan woman had access to God, if a Samaritan woman was the first Christian preacher, then anyone can have access to God. And anyone could tell the story of Jesus because it's not dependent on who we are now, but rather who Jesus will make us into the new creation. I know some of you have been doing the, the whole Jesus following thing for decades now, right? So let's say you've been at this for 20 years. And I know somebody's like, well, I've been doing it for 70 years. All right, so let's say you've been doing it for 70 years. Are you the same person now that you were 70 years ago? I mean... For Pete's sake, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. Hopefully, that's the way this process of new creation continues to take place. I was still telling the story of Jesus a year ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior, constantly reorients those who have access to God. And how the story begins with the power of God, not us. It never did anyway. And just think, what do we know about the church that grew out of the Samaritan woman's preaching? Do you know what we know about the church that grew out of her telling the story? Absolutely nothing. But God did something mighty with that story, but maybe not mighty by our standards. And think about the church in Rome in the first century. Of what little we actually know about the church in Rome in the first century, it probably existed primarily in households, if not exclusively in households. You know, just these pockets of Jesus followers. Rough estimates of what the population of Rome looked like in the first century was one million on the real conservative side and four to five million on sort of the conventional wisdom side. I don't care if you're talking about a million or four or five million. 
If the story of Jesus in Rome started with just a few households, again, it's still the mighty story of Jesus, even if it's not mighty by our standards. Jesus told another unlikely character, a chapter earlier from the Samaritan woman's story, a religious leader who came to Jesus in secret, and he told him flat out, if you focus all of your attention on the flesh, it will keep giving birth to flesh. You think the Samaritan woman knew that? Probably better than Nicodemus did. But if you focus on the Spirit of God, it will keep giving birth to Spirit. Not just where do you put your focus, but maybe more importantly, what do you find yourself talking about all the time? And Nicodemus, Samaritan woman, thank you for your story. I'm asking that question of each one of us right now. What do you find yourself talking about most of the time? You find yourself talking most of the time about flesh things? Do you spend all your time talking about other people? Or do you look for conversations about deeper, more lasting things? Eternal things. This is, the, this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is ultimately about. It says, who am I today and who is God making me? Who is God shaping me into right here and now? And that's part of what this is about. What we're doing right here is that we're coming and we're realizing Jesus continues to shape my life. You know, it's the, it's the, the, the children saying, be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. The Samaritan woman found what she was looking for and then told about her encounter to others. But about how they could be created anew as well. And you know who else is included in her audience? You. Even you. You have access to God. Now, challenge is, can you hear that? Can you hear me saying that right here today. You have access to God. And I don't know, maybe some of you, when you hear that, you immediately want to uh, you know, retort, well, but no. You don't have to say that. You have access to God. But the minute we say, okay, thank you, but what about them? Your God's too small. Maybe that's why 1 Corinthians 1 uses the dynamic language, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. I had an encounter, um, actually a number of pastoral care counseling sessions with a young man, long ago and far away, y'all don't know him, I do have permission to tell his story, though, although I'm not going to mention his name. But long ago and far away, I had these conversations with a young man who I think at the time was about 22 to 23. And, you know, I had known him for years since he was in high school. And we carried on this conversation over years, even though... He didn't believe in God. And he would come tell me, you know, I don't believe in God. But there was always this kind of, but I want to 
feel to the conversation. He even said that a couple of times. Because, you know, if you really just don't, don't believe in God, you're going to go sit and talk to a preacher for an hour at a time. So he was still looking. You know, he still wanted, but he didn't know what to do. So the more we talk, again, I think he's around 22, 23. We're sitting there talking one day, and I said, well, let's go back in time. Tell me about, you know, when you decided, well, either I don't believe in God or maybe I don't believe in God. Let's just start right there. And he said, I remember the moment. I was 14 years old, and I was laying in bed and looking up just at a dark ceiling. And I just thought at that moment, I don't know if I believe in God. And I said, okay. Are you, are you then going to live the rest of your adult life based on the decision of a 14-year-old? You know, and, and we had good conversations, and he, he would talk to me all the time about, and, and this is one of those backhanded compliments. You ever had one of those? Like one time I was teaching at ACU at a lectureship, and a guy came up to me afterwards and said, you, you seem like a reasonably intelligent person, and I was like, thank you? <laughs> so anyway, this, this young man comes and gives me one of these backhanded compliments. He says, I don't know how someone like you could still believe in God. I don't know how you remain that closed-minded. And you know, we had the kind of relationship where we could talk pretty straight to each other, and I was like, you're the one stuck when, at 14. You're the one who's deciding to live the rest of your life according to what you shut down when you were 14. And I don't know, I think a lot of us do that. We do it unconsciously. Even for those of us who believe in God, we believe in God and then we shut God down. It's like, all right, God, I like you right where you are. Stay there. I want you to stay, God, right where you were when I was 23. I want you to stay right where you were in 1957. 57 was a good year. Just stay there, God. And you can do that. It ain't going to work. Because the living water that Jesus offers is endless. You can't bottle the water of life and just carry it around with you the rest of your life like a relic. Some of us try, but you can't do it. Because otherwise, as J.B. Phillips put it, your God is too small. I mean, are you locking down God to one understanding? When God does something counter to our expectations, we are the ones who then have an opportunity to be born anew. Even if it's nothing more than giving Jesus a drink of water. And then He, in turn, saves our lives. Amen.